Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling with his blood. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible, inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you search intently and with the greatest care, trying to find the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. So this morning, I want to try and do two things. One is I want to try and be faithful to the passage, which one should always do when you pick up the scriptures. Um, so Peter's great concern is um, that the people he's writing to, uh, that they will stand firm in the true grace of God. It's kind of an interesting statement. So if you want to go, if you want to go and check me out, go to the last chapter of the book, uh, the second last verse, chapter 5, verse 12. Sorry, not the second last verse, it's the third last verse. He says, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So that's a, when you just read it like that, it's interesting. He's saying there's many, I guess, many ideas of grace, but this is, what I've written to you is the true grace of God, and I want you to stand firm in it. He starts the letter, you remember? Grace and peace may be abundantly supplied to you. And then he says, well, I'm going to tell you about this grace. So it's almost like the two arms of the letter is all about grace. Grace comes to us, and he wants you to have an abundance of this grace that leads to peace, but he also wants you to know the content of that grace, so that you may stand firm. And that's really my wish for you for this year. So my New Year's wish for you is that you would have the grace of God in abundance. And that that grace will be so internalized by you that you'll be able to stand. 
So that's my first purpose, is to try and do that this morning, which is fantastic, because that's what Peter's doing, so it's actually quite easy. I can just repeat him and I can go and sit down. The other thing that I want to do is I want you to help me to find a Christian New Year's wish. All right? Have you got Christmas New Year's wishes on your cell phones? Anybody? Anybody send one? Lots of stuff going around, isn't it? And I find them kind of challenging. I'm going to read you one that I got, and and I'm not going to say who wrote it, but just... I mean, I really wish that this would be true. But I'm reading Peter telling us about the true grace of God, and I'm like, huh? Okay, how do we communicate true Christmas wishes or New Year's wishes to one another? This is what it says. My 2020-year New Year's wish for you is 12 months of happiness. Who wants that? Of course. 52 weeks of fun and laughter. 365 days of success. 8,760 hours of good health. You're getting more excited. Five... 125,600 minutes of blessings and 31,536,000 seconds of joy. Anyone wants that? Of course. I would love it, but it's so annoying. How was uh, 2021? Anything like that. Any reality that this is going to be like this in the new year. So, I mean, we send out these things and I'm like, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I love it and I get annoyed by it. I don't know. I don't know if you like me. So, that's why I thought, well, let's have a look at Peter. Because Peter tells us in this first little section about the greatness of our salvation, about the greatness of grace. I mean, in one sense, you've got to read the entire letter to understand what the true grace is that he's talking about. Um, but he sets it up quite clearly in the beginning for us. Um, and he has a lot of joy in this passage. So just pick it up there in verse 6. He says, In all this you greatly rejoice. And then again in verse 8 he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. So I mean, there's joy in this passage all over the place. And that's what I find so fascinating. Um, as you read it. The word there for greatly rejoice is what we did earlier in the... But I saw most of you didn't do it. There's one family member in, at my house that every single morning shows me what real joy looks like. It is my dog. <laughs> so when I eventually awake, he is in my face... And uh, he kind of circles around me, goes to the loo, falls down, you know. And then the moment I take up his leash, he is like jumping out of his skin. You know how they go like that, you know. Now literally that is what that word means. The word in verse 6 is to riddle, to move, to shake, to dance with joy. And again, in verse 8, when it says, uh, our translation says, are filled, 
it's again, it's excessively moving, getting out of your skin with this inexpressible, this unexplained joy and this glorious joy. So, I mean, that's a fantastic thing. So we can have that, isn't that? That's fascinating. So the passage is very clear that this kind of a joy is really what the Christian in one sense should have. He actually says that. He says, you are full, you are moving, jumping, shaking with this inexpressible and glorious joy. And I guess, how did it go last year? Was that true? And I take it as partly because we are battling to understand the, I mean, I do as well. I mean, so I'm not scolding you. I'm just recognizing that I don't seem to understand the magnitude of my salvation. And we've just sung, the Lord is my salvation. If I understand that the Lord is my salvation, I understand what the scripture says to us about that reality of that salvation, then I take it, then I'll do this thing. It, it does give you energy. It does give you an immense amount of hope. But the scriptures never tells you this kind of stuff in the context of, you know, I wish 365 days of complete happiness and success or whatever it is that they say. So that's really what I just want to do this morning. I want to help you to understand the magnitude of our salvation and the joy we have in Christ by simply just looking at how the passage kind of puts it because it's so, so honest. So it starts out with praise. It's the right reaction. We've been doing this morning. We praise God. We thank him because his power is so massive that through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a living hope. It's a hope that is always alive. That's really the point. It is a hope that is always there because it is in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he has come to give us this life. Verse 4 tells us it's into an inheritance. Anyone want an inheritance? Would you like a nice inheritance? You want this inheritance? This inheritance cannot fade, spoil, or perish. So, um, again, I don't want to be nasty, but did you note... From 2020 to 2021, what was happening to you? You're starting to fade, <laughs> spoil, and perish. Everything else does the same. In this world, everything else fades, spoils, and perishes. But here's an inheritance that never perishes, spoil. Or fade. But just on that level, I mean, well, okay. <laughs> that is a massive salvation. It comes through the resurrection. That's the great evidence of Jesus Christ conquering death and decay. And he says, well, this is the first thing I want you to notice. This is an incredible inheritance that God is actually giving you. It's, you are born again into that inheritance. You have now, it's your birthright through Christ. You are now family members. You now belong to the family. You are going to have your name written down. You know, this is the people who will inherit uh, whatever is mine. God has written every Christian's name down and saying, this is your inheritance. And it's an inheritance that is so different from anything else that we know in this world. It never, suppose it never gets bad. Two days ago, I took the milk out of the fridge and uh, did what I never allowed to do is to drink out of the bottle, you know. But I don't know why it had gone sour. It spoils and it perishes and it's gross. This inheritance never does. So that's the first thing. And then secondly, he says in verse 5, but not only is, do you have this inheritance, but you now are being kept. 
you are being guarded by God's power for that inheritance. So one, the inheritance is there, can never change because Jesus Christ is resurrected. But secondly, God's power can now keep you, you for that inheritance. So, you know, it's one of the two problems you normally have. Either there is no inheritance or you're not going to make it. Well, you've got both. You've got this inheritance that can never fade, spoil, or perish, and you will make it. Because God will make sure that you will make it. Because he keeps you by his power. You don't keep yourself by your power. He keeps you by his power. So there's an incredible thing, isn't it? And therefore he says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice. So for the Christian, that is our great rejoicing, isn't it? Wow. We have this inheritance. It comes through the resurrection. We are being protected. We are being guarded. It's being guarded and we are being guarded. Both sides of the coin. And then you get this nasty thing that the Bible always does. It always gives you the truth. So look at what it says. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So we have got this massive joy that, in one sense, Peter assumes we all have because we do know Christ. We do know it, but I take it that's part of what he's saying to this. I want you to know the magnitude of this salvation so that you can have this experience Whenever you hear about Jesus, you start to move and shake and dance. You can't help yourself. But the context of that reality is exactly as he says here. So I just want to point out a couple of things about this world in which we are living in, and which we know and in one sense we understand, but it's good for us to grow in it as we look into this new year. We've mentioned the first one already. Trials, yeah, is that very interesting Greek word, can mean either the external circumstances that makes life difficult, or it could talk about the internal circumstances of our hearts, which we would call temptations. So he says you can either have this outside pressure, and the outside pressure inevitably causes inside pressure. So when I get a difficult moment, my heart comes to the fore, and I want to do things, change things, wish things away, whatever the case may be. So, again, which one is Peter talking about? I don't really know. It's probably both. So, there's the first thing. He says there are trials in this world. I mean, and you all say? Amen. But he's saying to us that trials in this life is inevitable. Because there's only one thing that never fades, falls, and perishes, and that is the inheritance that Christ has won for us. Everything else fades, falls, and perishes. So, what can you expect this year to happen? Things are going to fade, fall, and perish. Really? It's inevitable. It's going to happen. Now I'm going to say Jesus and I want to see if you move. Jesus. Because he's the antidote to everything that fades, falls, and perishes. We have a living hope, a hope that never, ever, 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 ever will die again. As we look at him, I mean, that's, and I think that's what he's obviously trying to get us. Where you look is where your attention is, where your heart tends to go, where your joy tends to come from. 
And so he's trying to help us to say, I want you to look carefully, to look at Christ. But don't look at Christ as if those things are not true. Look at Christ because those things are true. They are inevitable. I want you to see the glory of Christ because there's nothing that compares to him. Nothing. Because everything else fades, both and perishes. So at the end, you're going to help me to write a nice new Christian wish blessing. How do we incorporate all these realities? We are full of joy to the point where we are shaking because Jesus is the antidote to the reality that everything in this life fades, spoils, and perishes. It's inevitable because it's not perfect yet. Here's the first thing I just want you to pick up. So, knowing what's coming, let us grow in Christ so that we may have the antidote to the many things that we experience that fades, spoils, and perishes in this life. Then he says another thing for us. So in verse uh, 6, he says that um, in all this you greatly rejoice even now for a little while. Don't you find the Bible just a little bit frustrating at times? (laughs) A little while. How long must you suffer? A little while. How long is that? Some people suffer their entire lives. A little while. Comparison to eternity, it is little. But definitely doesn't feel little, is it? Now, for a little while. Now, for a little while. Now, for a little while, you will have trials. But they are, fortunately, therefore, temporal. Christ's resurrection tells us that all suffering, all trials, are temporal. They're inevitable, but they're temporal. So that helps us a little bit, is it? Trying to balance your own thinking through this whole thing. The next thing to pick up there is that you are suffering. The Bible never says when you have a trial and you experience temptation and things fade, spoil, and perishes, that you should not have sadness and suffering. The word actually there means excessive sadness. Joy, joy, excessive sadness. Because of trials. Weird, isn't it? It's encouraging, but it's, you've, got to, you've got to use your mind. You've got to think it through. We have excessive pain and sadness surrounded by the certainty of joy because of Jesus. So you're not wishing that this is not going to happen. It's inevitable. And we will have a temporal, but it will be really painful. The word there is quite a strong word. Sadness. Because who wants a broken world? No one. Who wants broken relationships? No one. Who wants to be broken themselves? No one. And so there's legitimacy in our sadness. In the midst of the joy that we have in Christ Jesus, because he's the one who overcomes and makes sure that it is only temporal and that ultimately it will be reversed. See how... There's a lot of stuff. I mean, we're just picking up on a couple of things here. There's a lot of stuff going on here. So it's good for you to sit and to say, okay, Lord, what did I suffer in the last year? And you're allowed to suffer. So we can come next to one another, and that's the word he uses And right at the end. He says, I've written this to encourage you. Literally means I've written as to come next to you, to sit next to you, so that I may testify about the true grace of God. The true grace of God does not take you out of Suffering. It actually takes you through it. 
I prefer out of it. Anyone with me? <laughs> I prefer out of it. Every day of the week, 24 hours. But he says, now here's the incredible grace that is true grace is to come and we can sit next to one another and suffer with one another. Not trying to say, hey, you shouldn't. And this is, no, it's inevitable. It's temporal, but it is incredibly painful. And it's okay. It's okay for you to experience that because we know that Christ is the only one who can overcome this because none of us can and neither of us will by ourselves. It is because of him that we do that. So it is inevitable. It is, uh, what was the original I said? I can't remember. It's painful. And now he comes and he tells us, uh, our translation is a little bit weird. It says um, in verse 6, a little while you may have had to suffer grief. It's like, um, I don't know, this sounds a little bit weird to me. It sounds very vague. The actual language is, as far as it is necessary. <laughs> Trials and hardships is inevitable. It is painful. It is temporal. It is necessary. Eh. wish we didn't have that part of it. Maybe we could then escape this. He says, it is necessary to go through that. It is a necessity. So just click with your eyes open. I don't want to go and spend all of that. But just look how interestingly he puts it in verse 11. When he talks about the prophets who prophesied about the Messiah that was going to come, he says, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them pointed, uh, pointing, uh, was pointing sorry, when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. If you go to the Gospels, Jesus says, the Son of Man came into this world and it is necessary to suffer before I enter my glory. There's a necessity to this reality. <laughs> that is very hard, isn't it? Wow. This is not a mistake. It's not like it shouldn't have happened. It is necessary. Now that, I take it as part of our growth in faith and, and walk with... Why is this suffering necessary? I don't know. I don't know why a particular suffering and trial is necessary. Bible doesn't tell us, but it tells us that that is necessary, that suffering precedes glory. All right. Does it help you to fight with joy? But Christ has gone through the necessary suffering to enter his glory. And so he says, each one of you, it is absolutely going to happen to you that you as my follower will suffer before you enter glory. It is necessary. He gives us a little bit of a hint in verse 7, although that's a very weird verse. Me and Sean has tried to work it out, and Sean couldn't work it out, so I don't know what the answer is. <laughs> but he says, These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Can you see the time language again? When he's revealed? I went in search, and so I didn't get to JJ. But I tried to figure out, can gold perish? And it can't. 
Not as far as we know. <laughs> you can dissolve it apparently in a very interesting thing, but uh, it comes back again. You can't, it doesn't perish. So I'm like, I'm not exactly sure what Peter is trying to get it, but it seems to be saying that to know what is genuinely gold, you chuck it into the fire and it burns up all the dross, so it seems like things are perishing to get it to its pure reality, and that's a very valuable thing. The same happens to us through trials. Our faith is the most valuable thing that we have, the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and that needs to be purified through our trials. And the point is, so that you may it result, it may end in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So I take it there's a very interesting thing. The more you suffer in this world, I take it, the more you're going to praise and have glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. It seems to be how it works. As you live faithfully, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of the inevitability of suffering, the temporalness of suffering, the pain of suffering, the necessity of suffering. As you do that, he says, well, what will happen is that you will have more praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Just like gold gets chucked into a fire, the more it stays there, the purer it becomes. The hotter the fire, the purer the gold becomes. And he says, well, gold doesn't compare you. To its costliness is valued than your faith because your faith is something that will never perish, spoil, or fade because of what Christ has done. Can you see why I'm finding it difficult to write a nice Christian New Year's message to people? <laughs> what am I going to say to them? <laughs> 365 days of happiness. <sighs> yes, no. <laughs> Yes, of course I want it. No, it's not going to happen. Because we are living in this world and we are to be purified that there is nothing that never perishes, spoils or fades but Jesus Christ. There is no one that have endured such trials and hardships, temptations and never gave in as Christ. So that he may become bigger in our joy, in our estimation, in our love, in our appreciation, in our wonder, in our shaking joy, that seems to be part of wild trials come. They come so that we will do this working out. What is it that I truly value? What is the value that has been given to me in Christ? How valuable is he? And how does he compare to the entirety of my life? Everything that we see around us. To what extent is he more than that? And that seems to be part of what is going on in this little section. Fascinating, isn't it? Have I encouraged you to really wrestle with joy? Joy is a real gift, very important gift. I mean, Jesus says it so many times. Everything I've told you so that you may have my joy and my joy may be in you and you may have your joy may become complete. And so you find this here as well. Fascinating, isn't it? But hard. Hard to... Okay, I've got to remember. So, so when the next trial hits you, when the next temptation comes around, are you now more equipped to say, oh, it was inevitable. It's temporal. It's okay for me to really suffer and not try and not suffer. Trying to pretend it's not bad. Trying to pretend it's not a, not a problem. 
but it's necessary. So Lord Jesus, help me to see you. How amazing it is what you've done for me and what is it that you promised me so that I may go through this. Because I know you are going to come again. You are going to be revealed. And the passage actually makes a a reference to that a number of times. He is going to be revealed. We don't see him now. We don't see everything now under Jesus, as Hebrews will put it. But we see him. We see him with the eyes of faith. We see him, and that's what we are to encourage one another. When we come next to one another, you see somebody else going through a trial that you may not be going through. Can you help him? It's inevitable. Remember it's temporal. Remember it's okay to really have grief. Remember that it is necessary. None of this will stop you from getting there because God is protecting you and your inheritance that can never fade, spoil or perish. So put your feet down there. And that's verse 13, isn't it? Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, so don't get intoxicated in the new year, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. First word there, minds that are alert, literally means pull up your skirt. <laughs> All right? In those days, the guys wore skirts as well, you know. Pull up the, the loins and tuck them into your belt so you can be ready for action. Don't get tripped up by your flights of fantasy. Make sure you are ready for action. Do not be intoxicated. Do not believe that it's going to be different than... I take it the word of God explains to us it's going to be. You've got to to help one another. A lot of our real suffering comes from when we forget that this is the context in which Peter is writing, saying this is the reality. He's going to explain a whole lot of trials and stuff as the book develops, but he's just setting it out right up front. So important for us to have this real joy, the joy that we have in Jesus Christ. Last year we started, can anyone remember where we started? 2021, Jesus saying to his disciples, in this world you will have 365 days of happiness. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome this world. I mean, shortened version of what Peter is saying. But we have to wrestle with it. And it's okay if you are not there yet. If you are really battling with this, it's okay. Let's keep on sitting next to one another. Do a Peter with one another and say, listen, I want to remind you about the true grace of God that comes to us through Jesus Christ. And it does not stop the inevitable decaying and breakdown of this world. It does not allow that to be eternal does not mean there won't be real suffering. And it does not mean that it is unnecessary. I may not know how exactly to connect all the dots, but I can trust him who does know how to connect all the dots. Because he's the one who's gone through it. I have a living hope. And you have a living hope. So let's go back there. That's what I really want to encourage you. So, 
So maybe in the week, if you come up with a nice slogan that captures all of this stuff, so we can next year wish one another a good 2023, if it's going to come around. Could you be able to do that, to help people, to not get into flights of fantasy? I mean, I, I, mean, I really appreciate the, the, the sentiment, but that's a flight of fantasy. 365 days of success and happiness and laughter and fun and uh, not going to happen. So in Christ, we get to reel with joy. Because he is the one that actually helps us to understand the realities of what Peter's summarizing in a couple of words. So let us be alert this year. Let us be fully sober. Let us help one another to be sober. Let us encourage one another as Peter does, so that we may know the true grace of God is indeed stronger than anything else this world can throw at us. And that in the end, God will keep us until Christ comes. And that on that day, we will have praise and glory and honor like you cannot imagine. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so realistic. And it's sometimes uncomfortably realistic. We would really love it sometimes not to be like this but we definitely don't want to miss out on Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the one that never spoils or fades or perishes. Thank you that he is the one who has sat down at your right hand because he has completed the suffering that was necessary for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that suffering will not be eternal. It feels like it at times. It is overwhelming. And we thank you that your word acknowledges that we will really suffer. We will really have grief. We will really have sadness and sorrow when we see that and experience it ourselves and see our loved ones experience it. Thank you that we don't have to deny that and lose our joy. Thank you that we can be sad and excessively joyful at the same time. How weird is that, Lord? We thank you that Jesus Christ changes every moment of life. For we have in him, because of him, a living hope. A hope that is always alive at every moment and every point of our existence, now and forever. So we thank you for that. Thank you that we can just chat a little bit about that this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you will help us to grow in our ability to understand the nature of your grace. Thank you that we can stand in that reality that it is sufficient for us. As Paul says, your grace is sufficient. So we pray, Lord, that your grace in this new year will grow until our hearts and our lives and our loved ones and everybody we see around us, that we will know that your grace is sufficient for us and for them so that we may come next to them in this year and remind them of the enormity of the joy and the certainty and the magnitude of our salvation in and through Jesus Christ. So yes, Lord, we do indeed have, in one sense, no other hope than in Christ and him alone. Won't you cement that into our hearts and into our souls and into our beings and into our words to one another? And we ask you, Lord, for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.